Hey everybody, welcome to episode 44 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host in Whitby, Ontario, Aaron Bay. Good evening. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have joined by Mark Rubin in Los Angeles, California. Hello. Before we start tonight's show, I just wanted to point out that I had some audio problems with my own recording, so I sound like I'm in a tube. I apologize for that, and I hope you enjoy the show. So, uh, well, we guess we'll uh, so we'll start off with a follow-up item that uh, Jaime posted. Uh, we met uh, a company called SportKit in uh, in Ennis North at the conference there, and um, Jaime, you posted something about them uh, marketing at WWDC. Right. So, for those who may not know what SportKit is or who they are as a company, they provide a uh, third-party service that you can integrate into your apps. They can. Um, and an SDK for their uh, for iOS that lets you add uh, support chat into your app, right? So this is kind of similar in some respects to stuff like AppTentive that's out there. Um, but for example, if you wanted to have a um, an app that's like, oh, okay, well, I'm having some sort of problem. How can I communicate with support? That's what they provide, right? Where your customer care team can chat back and forth with customers and resolve issues. That's who they are. What they did at WWDC is uh, actually pretty interesting and, and I think works out quite well for what their business model is, right, as a customer care focused and oriented platform provider. So they, um, well, for one, they handed out cookies in the morning, which is with their logo on it, which is well appreciated. I, I ate one of those and I wish I had taken a picture of that, but uh, I was so hungry. I was like just shoving it down my throat. Um <laughs> <laughs> starving WWE conferences bring out Betty. the desperate animal inside of you <laughs> right it's just <laughs> it's like lord of the flies at certain points um but the other bigger thing that they did uh, beyond beyond that which a lot of people give out token things they give out t-shirts or they give out stickers or whatnot they had this twitter campaign where anything that you need you can tweet at them and they'll have their runners go out and get it for you Oh, right. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So some people wow. like, you know, one guy needed um, aspirin or Tylenol or something because he was having a headache. So they went out and got that for him, which would have been kind of not very timely and easy to do during WWDC, even with Target across the street. Uh, somebody needed a Oh, no, I, I needed a charger because I, I forgot mine in a conference room or I left Ooh. mine at home or whatever it is. And they just helped out. Um, I don't think they actually even charged people for this. I think they just you know, ate the cost themselves and, and wow. went out and provided this for you. Some people ask for funny things like Ferraris and other crazy <laughs> things. And I think they went and bought a uh, a little toy car and put their logo on it, right? Just put a sticker. So they met the, the spirit of the, mm. of the concept there. Cool. So I think it was fun. Like kudos to them for trying something a little out of the box uh, to get their name out there. Well, yeah, and it's it interesting they're actually supporting iOS developers by doing it, right? So. Mm. And then I so today I just found out it was a zero day security flaw in the uh, keychain. Have you heard yeah, about that? Yeah. No. What's uh, that? What's that? Yeah. It's a Apparently fairly technical. Some sort of mal it's like malware that men in the middle type attack that can happen on key on keychain. I really don't want to talk about this hmm. unless we know what the fuck we're talking about. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, because uh, it's it's a little up in the air as to how serious it is. Okay. And so if if 
if you know about it, then go ahead. But um, I well, don't I know a little bit about it. We've been we're talking about it a bit today, but I've been had my head down on other stuff, so I wasn't really paying that much attention. I thought maybe you guys might have heard of it or seen it or, or seen tweets about it or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I've seen and read, but I I still don't feel like I have a good command of it, and I can't assess whether it's bad news or good news. I would just come off sounding like a, an ignorant fool, I think. Alrighty, okay. Hmm, Unless anyone else. Yeah, more. I've only just seen the headlines, but I can already see some comments on this article like headline is somewhat misleading i read the paper yeah. on the keychain is uh limited to os 10 there's no known ios vulnerability for the keychain the references to ios in the paper are re- are related to url scheme hijacking mm-hmm. that when in and of itself is a problem is not necessarily the same and then there's whoa there's a whole blog post by the um agile, agile bits. bits yeah yeah Mm-hmm. that's probably I read something that. i'm gonna have to read too you read that and you still don't feel yeah comfortable talking about it. okay Correct. so maybe we shouldn't cover it so we know what the hell we're talking about then yeah it may blow over by, by next week as well i suppose or by saturday but when we publish this well i mean i guess the thing that you have to know about it is it is serious like there is something serious going on here yeah. um and the uh, researchers that discovered this vulnerability um informed apple about it six months ago yeah, and uh, they also spoke with Agile Bits, among mm-hmm. other companies, uh, who you know people who have software that run on the Mac, um, right. and of course One Password is one of the big ones, right? So, um, but having you know they gave Apple six months to respond to it before they released this thing in the public, right? And Apple hasn't done anything about it apparently, um, but at the same time, Agile Bits makers of one password uh, has been working with these researchers and in their blog posts said they were very helpful, but as of today, they don't have any solution to the vulnerability. They have no amelioration strategy. Um, so they've got some tips uh, in that blog article about what you can do to uh, improve your odds of being resistant to this vulnerability. Um, but uh, there is no amelioration strategy. I think it has to happen at the operating system level, which I which is where Apple comes in, right? But, you know, Apple being famous, right, for not being uh, the most security-minded company out there. You think? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, they... I don't know. I mean, I, coming out from... Oh, from the, I don't know if you're uh, being sarcastic or not. You weren't. No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, so, coming, so coming actually, out... if you say, you yeah, think, sarcastic-wise, yeah, 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 I do think. That's what I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, okay. it's uh, there's been a lot of evidence over the years, uh, you know, don't leave me hanging, guys. But <laughs> um, Apple has been, uh, you know, historically quite poor about responding to security issues. Um, you know, there are certain policies that other companies, like Google, for example, um, you know, giving bounties, uh, providing credit in release notes. Um, so, you know, incentivizing researchers to uh, to report those vulnerabilities that they find. Right? Um, Apple doesn't do any of that stuff. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's. Uh, sort of a policy thing with them where they where they uh, tend not to you know don't negotiate with the terrorists kind of thing you know well that's not the wrong that. attitude right because security researchers are not terrorists <laughs> no I, I i just meant i meant that in, as a turn of phrase you know right. not, i don't mean that, that apple would say that mm-hmm. yeah well like with my point my perspective on security comes from the hardware side with you know with the software supporting the software and and having met with and taking courses under the security dudes at apple you know um, and been reassured by them that, that, that the systems are secure and, you know, and you know, passwords, uh, like, you know, when you lock your device with, uh, you know, 
what do you call it, device locking um, with a with a passcode, you know, encrypts your data and that kind of stuff, you know, and, and expecting that when you provide data protection in your apps, that uh, you know, information stored securely, and it's also, you know, but I mean, whether that's a pipe dream as for what you're saying, like you're, you're saying slow to respond to things like Safari vulnerabilities and stuff like that. Is that what you mean? Just historically, over the years, we've had many instances, and I mean, I could do a Google search and come up with yeah. uh, more information about this, but this has been a longstanding issue with Apple. Yeah. They mm -hmm. have not been a very good company, a good citizen, when it comes to responding to security vulnerabilities. Um, and do you mean, like, my, my question to you, though, is is that, do you think that's because they don't take them seriously or because they don't feel that airing their laundry in public is, is the right way to go about it? Well, you know, in the in the past couple of years since Steve Jobs died, you know, the company's become a little more open, you know, and right. maybe it's easy to forget how uh, closed mouth they are um, and were. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not as closed mouth as they used to be, but uh, at least in this regard, they appear to still be so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yes, of course, you know, as part of Apple's famous silence, uh, you know, this this just fell under that same umbrella. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, Jaime, Mark, you know, do you, do you know what I'm talking about here? Am I just like blown off of my my mouth here? You know what I mean, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this resounding so. uh, confirmation there for me. Um, I I do think there are some security things, but I think the lack of openness that they have around uh, handling these things, unlike as was pointed out, like Google and Microsoft and how they've handled their their bounty systems and everything else. Um, and and even some of the updates to things um, being kind of more problematic, like you know requiring whole operating system updates in, in some cases for mm -hmm. key pieces that are not as nice and modular as you would like. Like this confluence of things, I think makes it where I wouldn't say that it's as secure as it should be. Yeah, and, and I will admit there have been a lot of security updates. Like, like coming from a from an IT support perspective, which is what my previous life was, I still you know used to keep my clients involved, informed through emails and posts to Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter to keep them informed whenever I found some sort of vulnerability, whatever, some sort of suspicious behavior or you know any like there was a couple of instances I can't remember off the top of my head remember what they were in the last couple of years. We I think we've talked about a few on this show in fact. But um, yeah, the, the uh, there. I mean, when you do see security updates coming out, even for older systems, like you know, they might if they push out a security update for for Mavericks or or even uh, what was before Mavericks, um, that's no longer no line. Um, you, when you see them issue updates like that, then then it kind of you kind of wonder, well, you know, obviously this problem has been around for a while. Maybe they're just discovering it now, but they do push out security updates, you know, in in. Uh, regular fashion. I mean, we get them all the time in our, in the form of updates, right? So obviously there are things that are, that are, we're not that privy to that they're fixing, you know, in these updates that we get, right? I just pasted a link from uh, an article written in 2009, um, mm -hmm. uh, chastising Apple for its poor security track record. And mm -hmm. uh, this, this one is specifically brought on by, this is right, six years ago, I know, but <laughs> Apple's an old company. So like, it's just talking about track record here and history. Um, yeah. So can you, if you could put this in the show notes, I'd appreciate it. Um, sure. We would have uh, just the mention here about, about how, how Apple is regarded historically as 
uh, being a poor citizen in this regard. Um, you know, oh, with that, the old Java security. Yeah, Java yeah. security flaws. And then if you uh, read on down uh, the yeah. paragraph here, they Apple has a poor history, often failing to provide almost 10 security fixes for flaws fixed on other platforms days, weeks, or even months earlier. Sure. Um, and we mentioned yeah. specifically WebKit, Samba, DNS, MDNS, Bonjour, Apache, Java, and more. And so, mm. you know, all this, you know, it's Unix, right? And so all the, the guts of Unix are all out there on the internet. And um, the Mac uses the same stuff that, say, Linux does. And when vulnerabilities are found in those systems, uh, yeah, they have yeah, to make it sure. into OS X as well. And they did yeah. so, but only, you know, much later. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so something to provide some context. Oh, I mean, there, there have been, there admittedly, I, like, you know, again, like I told you before, I still manage servers and, and there have been server updates that required, you know, uh, I can't think of it, like SSL issues and stuff like that, where we had, because of uh, a vulnerability in the general market, like you said, um, things had to get patched in, in, our, in our Mac servers. You know, we think, oh, we're Mac, we're safe and whatever, but we're not. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, Aaron, I run antivirus software on my computers to this day. What, your yeah. personal computers? On my personal computers and on and yeah. Well, now that's shocking. Yeah. And and actually, there is a there is a, a security a demon that runs on your machine right now, uh, Clam AV. Right, it's buried in the, buried in the OS. Yeah, I can tell you, having managed mail servers myself, like personally managed them and watched them, like ninety eight percent of the traffic on the internet on any server is crap. You know. <laughs> There's zombies out there. There be dragons, you know, as a friend of mine would say, you know. How do Clam AV's running on my Mac, like out of the box? Yeah. On, on... No way. No way, man. <sighs> okay, I don't know what I'm talking about then. I'm I'm gonna check. I'm checking right now. P.S. A.U.X. Pipe. Grep. Clam. Asterisk. Hang on. Hang on. It's running on my servers. Can't tell you that much. Well, that I believe, mm -hmm. but definitely not on my Mac right now. But if you look for it, you'll find it's installed there somewhere. Well, it's not running. Okay. Well. Discovery D is running. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, the, the reality is, is like, you know, if, if, uh, if, you're, not, if you're not aware that, that nothing's perfect, right, and that someday somebody will come along and figure something out, then, you know, you're mad. I mean, you know, I, I'm running a couple of tools on my on my browser right now that show me Ghostly. I think one of them is one of them that shows me every single third party that is aware of what I'm doing on the web. You know, and I can yeah, go in yeah. and specifically turn certain of them off, right? So, sure, 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 sure. You know, like you go to something like Mashable or or you know uh, iMore, and a gazillion uh, you know analytics things pop up, you know, from all their advertisers, right? Mm hmm. We're being watched. Okay. Anyway, I got a good. Sorry, I got to get my tinfoil hat on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we have one big giant honking follow-up item, um, and that's WWDC, which is now completed, and everybody's back home safe in their homes. And um, so, Aaron, do you want to lead off with some stuff? Well, okay. We can. Um, I like to think about WWDC in. Uh, past context you know like now that we're back and i mean i never left but <laughs> uh i'm back from my week of you know spending my afternoons watching those videos i watched uh i, I like to count because uh it's the only way i can ever really feel good about myself i watched 22 of the videos um which uh is better than i did last year 
So uh, every year I get a little better, uh, beat my goals. <laughs> there should be a ring on the watch for that, you know, in the activity. Don't you think that would be great? A purple ring. I thought we uh, <laughs> might, you know, look back on the last week and talk about what you guys uh, thought was maybe your best session, what you felt was the best session. And by best, I mean, you know, what, uh, you know, sort of stuck with you. Uh, when you when you came home, and what are you thinking about now in terms of the work going forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, if there are any long term implications that you think of that are coming out of of this WWDC, um, so I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, my picks uh, were actually two sessions, and uh, they were probably the two of the nerdier sessions. So. Yeah. Um, we saw uh, several new sessions regarding Swift and uh, because of the 2.0 version that came out or was introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, but the protocol-oriented programming in Swift session I thought was pretty mind-expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen it, highly recommended because it is sort of perhaps laying out uh, a strategy for how to write applications in Swift that veers away from object-oriented programming as we've all learned it in the last, I don't know, 30 years. So um, now they're talking about using Swift as a protocol-oriented language. Right. And he, the presenter led uh, the audience through a number of examples about how to... Um, how to take advantage of Swift, in, you know, in terms of protocols. Very, very interesting, and I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I didn't fully understand everything that I heard in that presentation. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a user. I'm not, I'm not an academic when it comes to programming languages, and there are people far more qualified than I am. But for myself, I think this is really a goal to. Um, to sort of push my learning forward as I become more familiar with Swift over the next few months um, to get to the point where the stuff that I see in this presentation makes sense to me and then I can start to make a value judgment as to whether it's something I really want to adopt or not Um, because I'm a you know I feel very comfortable with object-oriented programming I, I get the metaphors if you will and so if I can get into a space where I can see the benefits of you know how they determine this protocol-oriented programming, then I think I'm really going to be able to grow as a developer. And so that's really fascinating to me. So I think all of us should be like that too. You know, anything that's new and different, you know, I think an initial reaction is just like, get away from me. You know, I don't want that in my life. I don't have time for that. (laughs) The way we grow as developers is to to adopt um, or at least make an attempt to learn new techniques. And uh, that that session was was really good for that. Well, if I can interject. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had an assignment this week where, I, to be honest with you, I just finished watching the, the, a large portion of the videos today, so that's my assignment. But um, uh, I spoke to about 15, 20 developers last week, polling them about their opinions about WWC, and that particular session uh, by Dave, Dave Abrahams, by the way, is the engineer. Um, that was the number one session for, for most people, so most developers. Yeah, I've heard much the same thing. Uh, it, it left a good impression. I haven't seen the session yet. Can you just give a 10-second or 15-second description of what they mean by protocol-oriented programs? Sure, I, I can try. Go for it. Okay. Um, I'm reading from my notes here. Uh, basically, David Abraham asked us to put aside our ways of thinking about regular developing and follow along on a sort of story that he told about this uh, fictitious developer named Krusty who, who 
regales on the um, benefits of protocol-oriented development as a, uh, rather than using scooper classes. Um, listing off the benefits, he countered that the revelation that Swift is a protocol-based language, which I didn't know, talked about trading dynamic polymorphism for more static polymorphism, and he contends that protocols and the new protocol extensions in iOS 9 are much better than using superclasses for abstraction. Um, and basically said, the summary was, the protocols add new magic and leads to the, into the use of value types as outlined in, well, there's another session on uh, using value types in Swift. Um, and that was kind of sort of where the talk went. And I, I'll be honest with you, I must have watched that session three times before I really sort of started to understand it. <laughs> It was no, also very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there was a session that followed along with it and um, that came afterwards. And, and of course, you know, Dave Abrahams also said, suggested we look at that one too. And that was called uh, Building Better Apps uh, with Value Types in Swift. Right. Object-oriented for developers are used to dealing mainly with uh, reference types. The value types become much more powerful in Swift. Yeah, they were, they were, it was an interesting talk. And, and it's funny, we just taught value types in, in uh Lighthouse uh, Lab School that, we're, that I'm teaching at this week, which is sort of interesting, so timely. Coincidence. Um, yeah, coincidence. There was a, another talk we talked about earlier on this show, uh, mm -hmm. some many weeks ago now, but you know that, uh, remember Realm, the company that's uh, hosted all these technical talks, and we yeah. referred to them a few times. Um, they had uh, one that we spoke about uh, specifically regarding value-oriented programming in Swift. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. If you remember that. Um, if we can go back into our show notes and figure out where that was, then sure. um, okay. that was Andy well, Matushak's talk. Yeah, thank you, so, Andy yeah. Matushak. And I remember saying how much I love the, the sound of his name, <laughs> Andy Matushak. Yeah, but that's about it. I, I really enjoyed that one. And um, the other one I really liked was the advanced NS operation talk. Uh, David DeLong uh, presented that one. Uh -huh. And in that one, he outlined how they used NS operation extensively like crazy extensively uh, in the development of the WWDC app. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he laid out not only um, how to, how they put together NS operations for the sort of conventional stuff that you would think of like network ops, for example, right. um, but even for things like uh, UI, like whenever they had a modal view that they wanted to show or an alert, uh, they would wrap that in an operation. And then they would actually wrap operations in operations and using the dependency features that we know about in NS Operation Q, uh, string these things together, and then in a way, kind of compose uh, larger actions together using multiple operations. Um, it was it was pretty mind blowing too. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Mm -hmm. um, so another recommended one. That was another high pick on, on ours too. And, and one of the things it talked about doing was was chaining or creating dependencies and then using those. Like you know, have one. One operation would wait for another one to finish, and it was kind of kind of cool the way he talked about it. And you could have fire off two at a time, or have a single, you know, serial type uh, process queue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting thing. Um, Jaime, did you have any videos you've watched or any insights or? Yeah, I mean, so I think the ones that you guys mentioned were pretty spot on as some of the picks that I had for that. Um, in terms of those being somewhat more um, architectural and not necessarily specific to some technology that we may not even care about next year when iOS 10 comes out and so forth. So they're, they're kind of nice. They're a lot less um, 
timely, right? They're they're not specific to, or they're not less less topical, I should say, perhaps. Um, in terms of some of the more topical ones, I think the I, I can't stress enough the ones related to UI stack view, especially now that there's some blog posts coming out related to that that I have in my backlog somewhere to to read at uh, read and look through. Yeah, that was amazing. Stack view is impressive, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really do have a feeling that it's going to you know, dramatically simplify my layouts. It's going to be something else. Yeah. What's unclear to me because I haven't looked into it is um, I do know that they have programmatic access to UI stack view. So if you're not sold on storyboards, you're not sold on nibs, uh, or it might be difficult to put those into your application based on what you're doing, you know, you can do things through code. It's unclear to me if there is a tool in Xcode 7 that will let you uh, generate the auto layout constraints for things that are not, you know, El Capitan and iOS 9 related. So if I wanted to go whole hog hog on this, am I only limited to the latest and greatest that understand what UI stack view is? Or is there some sort of code generation tool that's, okay, great. Well, for iOS 9, this is what it uses, but here's the code that you can put in for the, you know, iOS 8 and below sort of thing. That is such a great point, you know, and that's uh, the thing that I keep um, banging up against whenever I think about adopting all these new technologies mm-hmm. is is at what point do you do so and how, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so like I want to use Swift 2, for example, now, but I got to use Xcode 7 and then I've got to target iOS 9 and macOS 10.11 right now. So um, when can I do that, you know, and when does it make sense to do that, I guess is the question. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's interesting. interesting conundrum we have every year when they come up with these new features and, and how you get into it, and, and especially when they've added like the availability, uh, the pound availability statement in, in uh, Swift to you know, get rid of the response to selector times has to we have to do to check whether a new uh, method or framework is going to be available in, in the currently running device, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing that, a couple things that, you know, like I looked at a lot of watch kit stuff in, and um, I looked at one on layout, uh, and they were talking about the way that, you know, using... You know, you have a, it's a flow-based layout, so you have horizontal and vertical uh, layouts, and you can use grouping to control how they are, how they work. And that, I think that's very similar to what's happening, what's going to be happening in UI stack views. Yeah, right? isn't that not correct? So, in that case, I mean, they, they did specifically say that the watch kit uh, layout kind of stuff is only available through interface builder using storage boards. It's not so there isn't sort of a programmatic way of, of uh, laying that stuff out. So I wonder True. if that's going to be what happens with stack view on on ios and os 10 right so no no stack view is does have an api so you can code that stuff oh, okay okay so let me clarify because I, I think it may yep. not have come through so <laughs> okay. so there is a programmatic way to use ui stack view which is great because not everybody uses storyboards not everybody uses nibs right um what's unclear to me is is there a way to get the you know, the raw auto layout constraints that it produces, because it's all auto layout based, right? It's not as if they added some other mechanism that is magical. The magic is in terms of being able to handle all of that auto layout mucking around with stuff and messing around with things um, for you on your behalf, which is great, you know, iOS 9 and El Capitan going forward, but what do you do about iOS 8, 7, 6, which yeah, is where yeah. your baseline of auto layout exists, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what you're proposing, Jaime, is that the the UI stack view is, you know, 
I don't think it does, but you're proposing, like, can it generate the constraints that it would be needed for earlier versions of iOS? Um, I, I have a hard time imagining that. Yeah, that would be That'd pretty be. surprising if it could do that. Yeah. It would be great. But Yeah, I mean, there have been some some things that I've come, come across that I, I've asked people about and, and uh, surprised. Like, I, I believe that you can run Swift on iOS 7 or parts of it, but um, I guess because of how it gets compiled at runtime or how it gets compiled in the, when it's doing the build. Well, for me, one of the biggest surprises was when uh, was late. We made a late decision to look at um, multitasking and what's involved in that. And uh, you know, so Aaron, I think you totally predicted it last year when we talked about the new introduction of size classes and uh, auto layout. And there's one other thing I'm forgetting right now, but adaptive layout. That those pieces were the building blocks for. Uh, you know, the compact and regular layout were the, were the building blocks for multitasking. And it seems that if you're, if, and, and again, it's one of these things where the user's going to be in control of your app. So now developers, I think a lot of people came off of um, this WWDC thinking, oh, there was nothing new and earth shattering and, and world changing. But when you look at what's going to be required to support multitasking or to either support it or not support it, if you're not using size classes, you're not using auto layout and your app's not going to behave properly under um, under under the new multitasking views because you've got the slide-in view, you've got the 50-50 view, and you've got the full-screen view. And as the user drags the the bar across your screen, whether it's your iPad and layout or, or portrait mode, um, your application has to switch uh, size classes. So that's a huge consideration for iPad developers, of which I am one of, right? So. And you just come up with Magpie, which I believe is for uh, iPad as well, right? Of course, and it works sweetly in iOS yeah. nine. By the now, way, did, did you do did you do the whole size class and auto layout kind of approach in your? Of building? course, yeah, yep, perfect, works great. And you have nothing to worry about. I've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> you know, they're they're just little. I did, uh, you know, last week I ran it uh, yeah. in Xcode seven, uh, targeting iOS nine, and mm -hmm. it works wonderfully. Mm -hmm. There are some, you know, little edge cases that I'm not sure are uh, framework bugs uh, right. or or issues with my app that I got to take care of. Um, so I've I've left it for now. I'm going to wait for. I'll tell you this. I'm going to wait until at least a couple more betas come out. I think sure. before yeah. I start really, you know, uh, looking at this and uh, and starting to upgrade the features. Um, so yeah. So, I, so I'm are you running a device? So on, were you testing on a device running iOS nine, or were you just testing in the simulator kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I tested in the simulator. Um, okay. Oh, no, good. no, it's no. I I did install iOS nine on my iPad, and okay. uh, that turned out to be a catastrophic failure. Oh uh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, not least of which because I didn't have a good backup, and I lost my daughter's Minecraft world. Oh right. Yeah. Oh no. It was. Oh my God, it was so bad. Oh, it was a bad scene over here. Really bad scene. Feel shame. Oh, I was I was in the doghouse. So, Dad. Yeah. Oh no, it was a little worse than that. So, but and then the worst part is it's that my you know uh, nothing was working on iOS nine like uh, uh, RDO for example uh, just crashed on launch. Um, uh, Twitterific wasn't working properly. Um, you know, uh, MLB at bat, which I, you know, use every day, uh, mm -hmm. crashed on launch. And so, wow. uh, I simply wasn't able to use my iPad. <laughs> so I had to go back to 8.3. It was all for nothing. Well, I'm kind of wondering too. I mean, like, you know, I have a couple of, I have a, a couple of, um, what one app is built in using table views 
and with a split view controller, and but it's an old, you know, I the old old version of split view controller. Um, and I wonder what's going to happen to that app when, when somebody tries to load it up on a multi multitasking device in a window. You know, kind of well, thing. you should find out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, and that's that's my point of, of raising this concern is that that we're going to have to um, seriously look at you know how our apps are behaving in the in that environment, right? So yeah, well, that's what the simulator is for. It works great there. You know, yeah. you can you can definitely test using the iPad Air two simulator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, that's the only hardware that Apple currently sells that. That does all of this stuff, right? Right. Uh, which makes me sad because I have an Air. <laughs> yeah. So, I huh. oh, yeah, I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing this functionality though. It's going to be terrific. Yeah. Was there any mention at all at the conference of of this possibly working on the six plus eventually? No mention that I saw. No. Well, Didn't see see, any mention. in that talk on multitasking, they did talk about the, the whole the whole issue behind size classes and 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 why it was introduced. And they did mention that the six plus was the was the only phone that actually uh, respects both of those um, orientations. Like, you, you know, when you're when you're holding regular important, width yeah, and regular height, regular and compact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it may in fact do that. That has nothing to do with what Mark's asking. My point is that that. Um, it may, in fact, be something that's, that's planned down the way. Who knows? I mean, it could also be something to do with the M8 chip. Isn't there isn't M8 chip in the iPad 2, Air 2? It has one chip better than the rest of them, right? The A9? Yeah. Is it, oh, wait. It, it, M8 is the motion. Yeah, the, right? the, the motion mobile processor. Chip. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I do know that the, the iPad Air 2 is one sort of generation newer in terms of uh, stuff, right? So. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the it does have the great performance, but it's also got the uh, two gigs of RAM, as I recall, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is also a huge thing. A8X is the chip inside the Air 2 with the M8 motion coprocessor. Um, and of course, Apple never talks about RAM, but uh, we mm-hmm. know that it has two gigs of RAM, whereas every other device has had a maximum of one. Oh, really? And okay, you, can, that... you can imagine how RAM would be really important sure. when you're talking about running multiple apps. Certainly an interesting hypothesis, though, about the size classes thing. So I was uh, decided, before we knew what WatchKit actually was, I was decidedly wrong when I saw the um, size classes. I was like, oh, you have regular and you have compact. Oh, maybe the watch is going to be iOS-based and it's going to have micro or nano or mini (laughs) classes, right? Um, But they did, they did make, so here's, (laughs) maybe I can be wrong twice in a row. Um, They did make the iPad... Uh, size classes as regular it's like well projecting if you had a um pro ipad that is bigger in any way Mm. maybe and it has the split view maybe it has regular and regular apps sitting right next to each other instead of like compact and and or other bits, right? Or maybe it's like yes. its full screen view is like maxi mode or something. Yeah, I was going to say they must have an Uber Uber class or something. Mega width, mega height. We actually have a good uh, indicator that's going to happen. Uh, Stephen Stratton Smith, we mentioned him in the previous week's shows, uh, sure. has uh, has dug into the uh, SDKs that were released and has pulled out the fact that the iPad keyboard can expand to a much larger size. Um, mm. And has a has a, a a view that would fit a 12 inch iPad screen. Yeah, this is to him definitive proof that we're going to get that iPad Pro. Um, as if we needed more evidence, but there it is. Big ass keyboard, virtual keyboard. 
Yeah, I also heard rumors of the uh, that that somewhere either in the SCT or, or a slide got slipped out in WWDC. I don't know if it's been removed from the videos or whatever that revealed the um, the Apple TV SDK as well. Yeah, we did see some stuff. Yeah, we we've heard talk about it. I'm trying oh, to remember. The thing you might be talking about is the new device limits on um, for developer devices, mm-hmm. and uh, and now they've been uh, broken out by device type. And so they, on this particular slide that I saw anyway, it mentioned uh, this many Macs, this many iPhones, this many iPads, this many iPod Touches, this many Apple TVs. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I did see that one too. Yeah. Like it's a hundred of each, I think. Yep. Uh, so if that's the case, then yes, the Apple TV as an SDK targetable platform is coming. Can't wait. <laughs> that's actually a pretty nice thing that they did, that they broke out uh, the number of allowed devices into iPads and, and iPhones and iPods, for that matter. Uh, I mean, it's less important than it used to be because of test flight now, but uh, but at least that we're not limited to that hard limit of 100 that we had. That was, that was oh, you're talking about for testing? Yeah. Oh really? Oh, yep. Interesting. I thought, yeah, okay. Well, I, was, I thought we had. To, oh, you mean the number of devices we can put? Oh, they split them all out. The number of devices. Right. They split them up by type. Oh really? Okay. I yeah. So I, you get a hundred iPhones, a hundred iPads, hundred iPod touches. So you've hypothetically tripled your limit there, right? In devices, because right. yeah, you would right. have had yeah. collectively a yeah. hundred iOS any devices. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think now about being micOS ten developers like Aaron? It annoys me. I haven't, haven't really thought about it yet. Well, <laughs> it's good. It's good for yeah. everybody that we only have pay the one price. It annoys me a little bit in that, for whatever reason, my setting keeps showing up when I log in. And it's like, oh, hey, here's all this Mac stuff. It's like, um, I don't need to see yeah. that. I'm not a Mac developer. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, show me well, the I mean, iOS stuff when I go look at certificates and other bits, please. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, I was posting today in, on our notes about the fact that the developer site is a little hard to navigate now because of all the extra, the, the whole, it's all glommed in together and, you know, uh, it's almost difficult to figure out where to log in. And today I was looking for some, for my class, I was looking for the software downloads, you know, the sample code that used to be under, uh, under the iOS specific page. Um, you know, it was a link over on the left-hand side, top corner, and, and uh, had to go digging for that. And you know, now when you go to the site and you end up on a marketing page more, or sort of a "Hey, enroll in this program" kind of you know spiel, uh, when simply all you want to do is go. You've already logged in as a developer, and you want to just get to the tools you need to use, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of a kind of annoying in, in the fact that they've reorganized everything to their liking. Yeah, I of course attended a lot of sessions. Um, I still need to get through the videos and see them. I've reviewed some, again, like the what's new notifications, which if you ask me, the first half of that is uh, rather disappointing because it's a lot of repeat. It's not really like what's new. It's like here's notifications and how they work and then a tiny bit of new. What is kind of interesting from a um, push notification provider side is they've increased the limit of the payload from two kilobytes, which is in iOS 8, to now four kilobytes um, of payload. And they made the comment that, and this is gonna be available across all iOS versions. It's unclear to me what all means, exactly how far back that goes, but it'd be nice if iOS 7 and 6 ended up getting that support as well. Hmm. So worth checking out, worth asking your provider like an urban airship or parse or whatever, like when are they going to add that support? Because I believe it is limited to 
the new HTTP2 version of the APNS Provider Surface API. So, Mark, have you had a chance to look at any? Um, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, not a lot. I've been so immersed in trying to get to launch on this product I'm working on right now that sure. that I haven't seen much. Although, you know, while it was live streaming, I had it up on the the wall of the conference room I was working in. Sure, it'd be nice to get Dr. Krusty's impression of this. Show, but... Oh, I would love to hear your feedback on that one, Mark. Yeah, that, that, honestly, that would <laughs> be great. Krusty. Yeah, no, I will watch that one. That was the uh, that's the protocol oriented one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I will definitely watch that. What I was working on just and I just published it today, and I'm waiting for the editors to look at it. It's the top ten videos, video picks from the Ray Wonderlic group. So. Oh yeah, was... you'd mentioned that last week, right? Yeah, I was looking for some some feedback. Right, right, right. And when we did the sort of consensus and, and counted up all the votes, um, like the protocol-oriented programming so it, it was far and away the, the, the most popular one. The State of Union is actually the number one pick. If you like, And the idea is if you have no other videos, you have no time for any other videos, that's the one to watch. And then second is protocol-oriented Swift, and then the um, NS Operations is up there too. So it's like the number four pick. So Yeah. Yeah, cool. I was looking at um, the watch kit video. Um, I was looking at a layout and uh, animation uh, session. And they made a point of saying that um, a lot of the th things that they were presenting are still available and will be available in watch kit one as well as watch kit two. And then of course they did talk about some of the newer features that they've added into watch kit two. So I think there's sort of a, a, a th their statement kind of sort of was that you know you continue to work on WatchKit. I think that you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago because um, I think I made it one of my picks and we talked about it last week um, in terms of everybody sort of saying we'll wait and see what happens with WatchKit whether they do in fact come out with the native OS. So what, what do you guys think about uh, the real reality of people continuing to work on WatchKit one uh, in the meantime while we wait for WatchKit OS to ship? Well, uh... oh two so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, check check my uh, understanding here. Um, yeah. The WatchKit framework, as it existed prior to last week, mm -hmm. uh, can can still be used, right? It's just been yes. enhanced, yep. right? Yep. Um, so I don't. I, I think it's actually a terrific piece of news for WatchKit developers because there still are WatchKit developers. Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> um, yeah. Just the, the native apps, the, the extension part that was running on the phone is now going to sit, be resident upon the watch. And yeah, and I think, I think migrating from the one to the other is just a matter of taking that, that logic, that code, and moving it over to the watch when that um, shifts. Yeah, right? it's just a, a migration uh, command that you hit in Xcode, and it's done, yeah. right? Yeah. It reconfigures the thing for you. Done, done, you're done. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's very good news for watch watch developers. Yeah, the, the issues of, uh, you know, they, they talk about the transfer issues uh, are still there. Like when you first install the watch, obviously you have to be cognizant of the size images you're using. And again, they're doing a little bit of app thinning there too, where, you know, they want, if you're, if you're doing a 42, they want to send over the images for the 42 and so on and so forth. And so the same kind of issue, like right now we have issues with, the, with watch 1.0, if you're loading resources from the extension on the phone, it takes time to transfer it over. It's still going to be that initial transfer over when you do the install. But, uh, and they talked about some of the animation stuff too, which was, I, I kind of wonder what people think when they think animation, but they were talking about being able to ha animate um, elements in, in the, um, the layout, like, you know, opacity, width and height, and do some kind of stuff like that, not like, you know, you know Sonic the Hedgehog running across the screen kind of stuff, right? Um, which is kind of interesting. So it'll be interesting. And of course, they really did emphasize testing on a, on a device in that case, you know, making sure that your watch stuff runs properly. So 
which is cool. Um, and we also, I also took an in-depth look at GameKit, and uh, or there really wasn't. I mean, there were some sessions on GameKit, sorry, Gameplay Kit, but um, the Gameplay Kit piece, uh, they really crammed a lot into that video. So if you're into gaming, um, they kind of went through. I think they listed off seven pillars of, of the new game. They're basically, they're calling it their first um, game development framework that they've come up with, right? Which includes all of the pieces that they've you know had before, like Sprite Kit and Metal and um, that kind of stuff. But um, some of the AI they've added in is really kind of cool, and they've got um, some um, neat animation. We talked about I think a little bit last week with the flocking, and we did talk about that last week, right? Flocking and where you could have like groups of birds flowing around, flock falling around, and yeah, you did mention avoiding that. objects, and you could you could t- you could have the the character, the element on the screen, follow your the mouse or your finger around, or you could have it avoid your finger, or you could have it avoid objects, and it's all just sort of out of the box. You know, that's the kind of behavior I want. That's the kind of behavior you get, sort of thing. So, from from as a game developer, those are kind of cool things to see, right? So, and then mm-hmm. the turn turn based games, like if you're doing a chess or go or checkers, you know, you can tweak the AI in in the uh, to basically be a better player or a worse player depending on kind of level you want to have so without having to sort of go in and craft all that logic as they said they're helping us bring our ideas to life while they do the heavy lifting in the back behind the scenes which is kind of cool but like i said if you're if you watch the the what the intro to game kick gameplay kit you know it's, it, they cover quite a lot in, in a really short session did you any, in, see any of the game stuff when you were at uh wwc Pioneer? No, it was it was not my focus. Um, right. There's just too much going on with regards to watchOS and all mm-hmm. the other enhancements that uh, that fell off my list. But it was very impressive from the platform State of the Union and seeing folks poking around with the um, example game, uh, the one with the uh, the red panda that they showed the three D <clears throat> excuse me the three D game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, I saw somebody running that on their laptop uh, sitting right. next to me. It was really pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah. There are some neat, neat downloadable uh, uh, examples of, of, the, of the, for the various talks that they talked about. Um, like even the um, Mysteries of Auto Layout, they did a double session for Mysteries of Auto Layout. They had like 12 sessions, 12 uh, issues that people deal with. So everything from like how to basically use it all the way to how to resolve problems, which is kind of a cool thing. So that's a good session to see that was very popular. So, so Aaron, what do you overall now that you've seen twenty? What did you say? Thirty-six, twenty-nine. How many videos? Eighty-four. Eighty-four. So um, eighty-four videos. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Now that you've seen eighty-four videos uh, all told, um, what are what's your overall impression of this year's WWDC and the stuff that was introduced? I'm very impressed. So, <laughs> I think this is going to be the year that I adopt Swift, and okay. frankly, I'm surprised that I would be saying that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I thought that uh, the language and the tools would have to go a lot further, uh, but it seems yeah. that they've been iterating very heavily on this, and there's no question now that Apple's taking Swift seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think they're even leading up to WWC, there, there, there was doubt in the community that Apple was really serious about pushing Swift forward. There was speculation mm-hmm. that maybe, you know, you know, what kind of uh, sample code is, is Apple going to show? Will it be Swift or Objective-C? Well, yeah. it's all fiefdoms in Apple, and so we're going to see a mix of both. Oh, yeah. no, it was all Swift all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a very clear message. Swift is the future. And yeah. so um, 
and with the tooling improvements, uh, like I said, I'm looking for beta releases to see just how it improves. Um, I'm really looking forward to adopting it. Mm-hmm. Um, other things are, you know, again, with the multitasking stuff, uh, I'm, I'm already very confident that I've already adopted the important technologies, auto layout and, uh, and size classes. Um, so that's good stuff to have. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the things that, like I was listening to last week's show, um, just earlier this week and uh i don't know how i missed it but when greg was talking last week about the bit code Mm -hmm. um updates now that thing is actually really very interesting um and i i didn't really uh catch on to it when he first talked about it i don't know why but um when you look at what apple's done with the bit code thing it's it's really going to sort of detach um cpu architecture um yeah. dependency from the the development that we do as developers you know mm-hmm. so uh there was actually a follow-up article that i read later um and i'm gonna paste that into our chat here if you could add to the show notes please mm-hmm. um this is uh this was written by inertial lemon <laughs> you know. sure know how to pick them yeah i don't know who these people are well why don't people put their names on their work uh it's peculiar to me that people don't have their names on things so anyway uh this article is called apple's bitcode telegraphs future cpu plans and just to put it in a nut for you the idea is that apple will be able to adopt new cpu architectures and almost like you know it could be intel but it's probably Mm -hmm. uh much more radical redesigns of the arm architectures Um, because you know apple is one of the very few arm uh what's the term for that but they, Apple has the ability to uh, to redesign or to you know work against the the ARM specification and create whatever designs they like, basically. So, um, again, not an expert, but <laughs> um, what this article proposes, what Bitcode allows uh, Apple to do, is to uh, do quote crazy stuff unquote mm-hmm. in uh, making CPU architectures and not having to worry about compatibility with previous generations. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So. Um, say with the watch uh, OS for example uh, the watch uh, API is the first one that is going to from day one enforce compatibility with bitcode so uh, when you submit your builds in Xcode um, starting with watch OS 2 um, they have to be compatible with bitcode Um, and it's in the requirement for it is coming later for iOS no mention of the Mac of course (laughs) Um, so what that does, though, is it gives Apple the ability to kind of go nuts on a, a future S2 CPU, right? Uh, so the S1 that's in our current watches uh, is, you know, a, a low-power processor. Um, but the S2 doesn't even have to be compatible with the S1. So... Um, this is, I, an I arm, kind of, is this an ARM chip that we have in the watch right now? Yeah, we presume that it's an ARM chip. It's oh, okay. It's certainly okay. an ARM chip. Um, and, you know, the S2, no matter what they do with it, will be an ARM chip. Sure. Um, so, anyway, have a look at this article, and uh, you can get a sense of uh, what one person's take is, an inertial lemon. Um, yeah. <laughs> where? I don't know. So, uh, some great ideas about why uh, that's a big deal. Well, we do have an expert in the house in terms of Mark. Mark, do you have... Yeah, he's not a big talker, though. Mark, have you got a... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not up to speed on this either. Sorry. Oh, you're not okay. All right. No. Nope. No. Nope. Well, we just saw it from the point of view of, of understanding chips and chip technology and your past life. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, arm arm is a uh, is a the whole concept behind arm is it's it's a it's a piece of IP that you can drop into your own design. So mm-hmm. it's different than a microprocessor like Intel makes, um, where they sell the entire microprocessor. Uh, in general, you don't buy an ARM chip; you buy IP, uh, which is intellectual property that you you design into your own chip mm-hmm. and build your own chip around it. So it's much more flexible, um, and and the the, the products are, are generally, uh, you know, more lightweight, lower power than than an Intel chip would go into. So a watch would make complete sense, and an iPhone makes complete sense. All right, so let's go around the table and see if we have any picks or tips. And um, Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. It's a uh, app called ETA. It's uh, available for the iPhone as well as the Apple Watch, which is actually the vast majority of the time that I end up using the app. And it's a pretty simple idea where you can add in these different locations. And in my case, I use work and home. And it gives you a nice little glance on the Apple Watch, which is nice cool. to say, like, okay, how long will it take me to get home? And like, oh, man, like, <laughs> I better leave now because it's, you know, 10 minutes longer than it normally should be. Mm-hmm. For example, when I need to come home and do the uh, podcast recording, such as this one. <laughs> um, it doesn't really do a whole lot. And that's actually pretty nice on the Apple Watch where it's just a simple list. When you're looking at the list view, it has, you know, what time do you... Would you expect to arrive given the current traffic conditions? So, yeah. There's my pick right there. It's a dollar ninety nine US in uh, the App Store. Translate that to the tens of thousands of dollars. I'm sure it is in Canadian. Mark, do you have a tip or a pick? I do have a tip today. Yeah. So I've been doing uh, nightly builds using Test Flight for for a couple months now, actually, and very very successfully. It's, it usually works perfectly. Uh, today I was kind of surprised that all of a sudden, uh, as I tried to upload my build, uh, Xcode crashed. Mm. Uh, this happened on a couple of different machines, uh, you know, rebooting the machine, quitting Xcode, uh, all the all the things you might think of trying. Nothing, nothing worked. Uh, so luckily, there were some friendly folks on Stack Overflow who who uh, had had the same problem all today, of course. Mm. Uh, and uh, the solution is is. Uh, Completely unintuitive, but if you leave the organizer open and close all your other Xcode windows, then you can upload. No idea why, no explanation, but that's what it's doing today. Uh, no idea if this is a permanent thing, no idea if this is a temporary thing, mm-hmm. but but it seems to work. Uh, so if anyone else is running into this problem and, and uh, banging your head against the wall about it, give that a try. It might work for you. So I think Aaron was saying before the show that it sounds like they're not using NS operations. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. There is the the stack trace that Xcode shows when it crashes is that there's some method uh, that must be run on the main thread, <laughs> and and that's the only explanation. So I, I don't know. Alrighty. Um, well, I I do have a my pick would be Slack, but have we done Slack before? I don't think so. It's just uh, well, God knows the the name has been mentioned plenty yeah. of times. <laughs> yeah. I thought we had talked about it a couple of times. No? Yeah, we talked. I think we talked about it, but um... yeah. Oh, you know, we have talked about it in the context of, I remember at one point my asking uh, why everybody's adopting it all of a sure, sudden. Sure, yeah. Um, and, uh, and we talked about how they offer um, a free plan. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, we did talk about it, right. Because yeah, uh, there was the uh, the, wa- the five-minute watch kit stack group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember when that came out? 
So I think we talked about it in that context, but yeah. not as a pick, hey, guys, you should use Slack. Yeah, no, it was a, the reason I thought about using it as my pick is because I, I use it all the time now because now I'm on I'm on two, uh, Lighthouse Labs uses it to communicate with students and teachers. And, uh, you know, of course, everybody Wonderlick group uses it. And I'm on it all the time. I have it on my iPads. I even run it on, on my iOS 6 device upstairs. It still works, it supports iOS 6, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so, I mean, I have it, I've used it on, I use it on my browser, I use it on my, um, my iPads, my iPhones, and uh, there's even a, a Slack client on the watch. It's not very underpowered, not very good. I'm hoping to bring something cooler out later. But yeah, it's 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 become sort of um, the water cooler for me in a lot of different ways, right? So um, you know, because I can reach out to developers that I work with around the world. Um, fortunate to belong to that group where you know, any time of day or night, I can you know ask a question or you know put up a joke image or share a cool link. Um, and the same thing is happening with the uh, with the, the school and uh, and of course with the five and watch kit guys. Like when you want to go and see what uh, they have a they have a, a lot of these stack slackers will have like a brag about my stuff. I post our, our podcast in uh, one of them, but um, the watch kit guys have when they when they roll out a new app, they they take the time to go in and, and post their app or. And it's kind of cool. So you get to go and see what's what other developers, you know, in working in your field are doing. So it's an interesting tool. It's really um, surprisingly pervasive, you know, when you get into it. So there you go. And and Mark, you use it with your group. And how many do you I do. guys use it? I do. Yeah, it works well. How many do you guys use it? No, we're using HipChat. Oh, HipChat. Yeah, that's the competitor, product. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Slack is better than HipChat. Um, but they both they both have sort of this uh, they both are web apps in a yes. native wrapper. Yes. Uh, oh, is that what I it wish, is? Okay. Yeah, it is. Both of them are, and uh, mm. HipChat and Slack. I wish one of them would jump ahead. Like, if I was HipChat, I would be beavering like a nut on the native version of those things mm. uh, for for iPad, I, uh, iPhone, and Mac, uh, because uh, it's just I, I'm sure that you can get a better user experience if you go native, because there are still even in Slack, which is the better of the two, mm-hmm. to my mind, it's still kind of webby. Yeah, so you, you think that, eh? I think that. So are you, are you saying it's web user, or you think it's it's native stuff that's being fed with... Um... Well, it's a native wrapper, right? It's yeah. like the, the Slack window is basically a WK web view. Okay, okay. Huh. I not thought about that. Oh, yeah. So but yeah, it's great. I mean, Slack is, is really good. I mean, as a, as a communications tool... Um, I use it every day, and uh, it's it's very competent. I I don't understand the um, the fervor around it. You know, there there appears to be some, um, you know, you've seen articles and heard you know people talk about Slack as if 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 my workplace doesn't have it, I don't even want to work there. Really? Yeah. Like there's there's a there's a, a rabid fandom around Slack. Um, I don't I don't understand that sentiment, but uh, yeah, it I is a it is a very competent tool. Yeah, it's a useful tool, but I don't, I don't get the, you know, pseudo religiousness around it. That's, that's yeah. odd. Yeah, but like I said, when working in in remote groups, like I tend to work, it's it's a uh, it's quite a nice tool to have, to have you know. Um, well, you gotta have one. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and you're you're working for Whitby, and you're working with a group of guys down in Toronto, downtown Toronto, right? Yeah, Toronto and yeah. other other ways, yeah. Yeah, places. so handy. I guess that's it for the week. And Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to Twitter, at Aaron Vay. 
And Jaime, if people are trying to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Twitter at devwithahair and devwithahair.com. And Mark? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, I'm, my name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter and my website, it-guy.com. And I guess that's it. We'll see you guys next week. So we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. said goodbye oh I didn't, I didn't he totally it. said goodbye it'll come out on the recording if anyone if it didn't come across on skype <laughs> i didn't get the chocolatey smooth but you know <laughs> it doesn't get any smoother than jaime lopez jr <laughs> how, how, how you do it how you doing no how you doing how you doing so I, I saw my tweet the other day and I picked up my phone and I flipped it over and I was looking at it for a split second wondering why the screen didn't come on like the watch does mm-hmm. oh my god um. <laughs> <laughs>